Welcome back to Enlighten Up for episode 51, Shopping at the Cosmic Costco, Remote Viewing, and Reptilian Encounters with John Mathis. We have a very fun episode today. In fact, it's going to be one of our more lighthearted, humorous episodes where we definitely uh, laugh a lot and don't take each other so seriously. But uh, as it is on the spiritual journey, sometimes that's really important and it uh, creates a little bit of uh, relief to some of the seriousness all the time. However, that doesn't mean that we don't have um, incredible experiences to share with you and knowledge. John has basically what's called Pandora's box of experiences, and he's going to share many of them with us. He's going to share some of his near-death experiences where he met George Carlin in the ethers and found out that Earth is considered the wild, wild west of soul incarnations. So what does that mean for all of us down here? You're going to find out. And also he's going to talk about soul fragment retrieval and how that actually changed some of his choices when he went back into past lives. Uh, We're going to also talk about remote viewing and um, how you can start remote viewing if that's something you're interested in. And of course, what does shopping at the Cosmic Costco actually mean? Well, it has to do with Earth being the wild, wild west. So let's jump into the episode and find out exactly what Cosmic Costco shopping is like. Welcome back to Enlighten Up, everyone. You guys are listening to episode 51. Uh, We are so close to our one-year anniversary. But before we get there, we have a very fun show in store for you because we are going to be joined by, let's just say, a very unconventional guest uh, for our very unconventional spiritual podcast. So it goes great hand in hand. I am here today with Lisa and Michael. We are not joined by Brian, uh, so we will miss him, and I'm sure he'll have much to say as he listens in from his car or wherever else he's going to listen into, just like all of you. Uh, but today I'd like to introduce our guest, John Mathis, who would prefer me to actually introduce his left brain first, which means he is a research clinician, database designer, oncology nurse, international trainer, opera singer, and author. However, when you bring in the spiritual side, he is a spirit communicator, remote viewer, Reiki master, near-death experience, sir, who saw George Carlin. And he says that his exploits include borrowing a police car, being arrested by Russian police, singing opera in six languages, and getting invited to the NFL tryouts while taking a whiz. He says he is going to leave the porn cameos to himself at this time. So, Michael, thank you very much for that. Welcome to the show. How are you? You mean John? Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Michael. Have you done porn? I was just like, like, what the fuck just happened? I'm so confused. Um, I I keep those videos deep in my closet. (laughs) So, I'm not going to edit this part out. Um, John, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. So, John, um, John is uh, good friends with one of our past guests, or I should say recent friends, because you've you kind of um, been in passing with one of our guests, Michael Daniels, who was our scientist on here at that Kundalini Awakening. And uh, you guys, where did you guys meet? And like um, metaphysical uh, seminars or conferences? Uh, yeah, so we both uh, both belong to Meetup and belong to the same uh, like metaphysical groups. But we also both work at IBM. So 
I, I kept I kept seeing his name and you know pop up in in the circles I run in, but it, it damn near took us four months to finally find the time to actually uh, run across each other in real life, and that was pretty interesting because uh, it. We were supposed to meet from uh, like 4.30 to 6.30, and we met from like 4.30 to 1.30 in the morning. Wow. Well, I'm wow. going to offer you um, a little bit of um, a co- competition. <laughs> so uh, Michael's show is one of our most downloaded shows uh, so far to date, um, at least within the amount of time that it's been on air. So let's okay. see if you can give him a run for his money. Okay, well, Michael is coming to me as a as a uh, a student, so uh, go ahead, rip oh, it. I'm glad that <laughs> we'll the, see what happens. Yeah, well, the ego just came out, so welcome, John's ego. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, so you know your gifts came online very early in age uh, when you were still a child, but you also were part of, I guess, an abusive family. Is that correct? Yes. And so do you feel like your gifts came on as a result of some of that trauma or do you feel they're not related? No, I, I totally believe they're related, but, um, I would say early on in life, I thought, uh, you know, Hey, this sucks that this is my lot in life. And then later on it was, uh, wow, I must be a spiritual badass to have uh, selected this particular, uh, uh, road trip. And so the the uh, the onus of responsibility shifted from my parents to me because it's like, you know, I asked for this. I wanted this as part of my experiment so that I could uh, learn the things I wanted to learn and do the things I wanted to do. Your gifts, like how did they come online? Uh, well, they came online when I was about nine years old. Um, I... I grew up with my grandfather being my primary caregiver slash babysitter. Uh, so I grew up and he was first generation German American. So I grew up speaking German and English and hanging out with grandpa and drinking coffee in the morning and reading the paper with him. Um, and so, I mean, he was, he was, he was my world. And so when, uh, when he passed away from cancer, it pissed me off. So I, uh, I got pissed off with God and decided I wasn't going to pray to God anymore and God can go screw himself. And, um, you know, that was kind of my, my nine-year-old uh, line in the sand. And then a few weeks after he passed away, I had a vivid dream where he was sitting at the foot of my bed and I woke up and he basically wanted to have that visitation thing where... Hey, I'm okay. Uh, stop hating on God. Um, I love you, and I'm not restricted by the cancer anymore. So be a good boy. Stop hating God, and I'll be watching out for you until you get back to me. Until you get back to, sorry, you cut out. Until I get back to him, back to heaven. Oh, so basically re- reunion. Yeah, basically he's got my back for as long as I'm in this meat suit. That's a good topic because Lisa and I talk about that. And Michael, you seem to think that we only have one life. You're not sure if you believe in the whole reincarnation, right? Well, I'm not. I'm not certain on anything. 
not certain if anything happens when we kick the bucket, but this is why I'm kind of interested in, in John today because apparently he has a kick up kick the bucket story. <laughs> he does. He does. Actually, it's really interesting, and you, it's basically like a scene out of Harry Potter. John, do you want to talk about your near death experience? Um, sure. We'll we'll go through the clinical side first. Uh, <clears throat> so I had pneumonia, and I was going through uh, a weed out class. Uh, in nursing school. So there were uh, over a thousand applicants for nursing school and there was about 80 slots. So I was taking uh, an advanced anatomy phys class that was designed to weed people out and I got sick and I wasn't going to miss class. I didn't want to get weeded out. So uh, my grandmother once described me as a mule with a nail in its head, uh, that being that stubborn. So I just kept pushing, and finally I was just really beat up. Went to the doctor, and I had a uh, 104 fever. I had whiteout in all five lobes. Um, and they said, you need to go to uh, the hospital immediately. So, of course, I went home, took a shower, had a strong cup of coffee, made a nice proper English breakfast, and then headed towards the hospital. Somewhere between home and the hospital, I lost consciousness because I came to uh, in the hospital parking lot. Uh, how I got there, I don't know. Obviously, I drove. Um, but I don't remember any of the trip. And then the next memory I have is I'm actually sitting in the emergency room. And the doctor is holding a piece of paper in front of me with, like, an X and a line. So it's like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to sign this. So I signed it. And then the next thing I know, it was nearly three weeks later. Oh, but, you were uh, you were in a coma for three weeks? Yeah. So basically what happened was is I had pneumonia and it was so bad that it irritated my lungs. And so I got something called acquired respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS, which 50 to 60 percent of the people who get ARDS die from it. The quirky thing about ARDS is that it's a major organ system, and we don't really understand what the messaging pathway is, but when one major organ system shuts down, the others kind of say, oh, okay, it's time to close up shop. So when my lungs shut down, my uh, kidneys and my heart did the same thing, which is why I needed to be on life support because, you know, the rest of me was quite fine. Uh, not quite dead yet. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, I was on life support, and... Um, my body blew up to a little over 400 pounds. Uh, if you know what third spacing is, I had third spacing in my eyeballs. I, I, don't, I don't know what third spacing is. Okay. So have you ever heard of edema where you, like your legs swell? Yeah. And because it's re water retention? Yeah. So then they have something where they grade that type of edema. And so if you have really bad edema you actually start sweating out uh, serosanguineous fluid. So basically you start sweating out blood and white blood cells because there's just so much fluid on board. And your body creates pockets for the fluid to go into, and that's called third spacing. Oh, that was in your eyeballs? It was in my arms, my legs, the rest of my body, and it got so bad that even my eyeballs had third spacing. Oh, my gosh. Okay. 
Uh, but then, for some reason, the uh, the heart kicked back online, the kidneys kicked back online, and then the lungs finally came back online. So you were in a coma for two weeks? Uh, yeah, so I was in a coma for two weeks, and then on day 14 or 15, uh, they started to bring me out, and I had some troubles with that. And so for the next two or three days, they kept trying to bring me up out of the, the coma, and on the, the third day... Um, I was able to come up and, and stay without either spiking a fever or going into respiratory arrest. So during this two weeks, do you, is that, did you have a, a near death experience? Did you go anywhere? Yeah. So you see, now that's the non-clinical part of the discussion. Uh, that's the part we care about. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, let me just shut the hell up and shift gears. (laughs) So, so, so you didn't actually die. I mean, not, not, not that what you went through is hell, but like you didn't actually die, but the coma part is what you're going to about to talk about. Correct. And actually you bring up a, a, a very important point within the near death community because it's almost like my Kung Fu is better than your Kung Fu. Right. When the near-deathers get together, it's like, well, how bad was your near-death? And so <laughs> when, when I was, like, giving talks to this community, they're like, eh, you didn't die. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm sorry. I had multiple organ system failure and was attached to a machine. Otherwise, I would have died. I'm sorry that doesn't meet your criteria for excitement. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, a, that's another whole tangent, too. So among near-deathers... They don't like me because I didn't, quote-unquote, die. Uh, And then among the groups that allow us to talk about this, which sometimes kind of veers into something called spiritually transformative experiences, which is basically an NDE without the whole, you know, pesky death part. Uh, Even among them, they're like, oh, you saw someone that wasn't sacred. And what I come to find out later is that a lot of these groups are nonprofits, and so they require donations. And everyone wants to hear about baby Jesus and, you know, seeing your, you know, your, your, your pet puppy or rainbows or unicorns, you know, shitting rainbows. I saw George Carlin, which I think is awesome, but a lot of people don't think that. I find that very interesting because I remember George Carlin being a prom, uh, uh, prominent atheist, too. Well, he's kind of similar to me in the sense that he started out a devout Catholic and even considered the priesthood for a while. But after a while, he started to realize that, uh, you know, basically this whole game uh, is going on. And there's just multiple levels of bullshit being shoved down our throats, whether we like it or not. And as he became aware, I looked at him as kind of like the court jester, because the jester is the only one who can mock the king and not lose his head. And the way he did that was to educate through humor. And that's how I perceive George Carlin. You were so busy laughing that the lesson maybe not hit your consciousness, but it definitely sunk in and made you go, hmm, later. So can you, can you describe to us this experience with George Carlin? So do you remember like an out-of-body experience? Like people say, you know, they're looking at their body down on the hospital bed. And is it a yeah. story like that? Yeah, so there's a couple of parts to that. So while I was on life support and in the coma, it was like I was tethered to my physical body because I could only get about 10, 15 feet away. But I was able to see who was in the room. I was able to float above my body. I was able to go out to the nurse's station. 
and a lot of people, because I was in a coma, they didn't guard their conversation. And so, you know, I was hearing things like, wow, that guy's circling the drain. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, other positive affirmations that nurses would, would give. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't emotionally attached to this. I was, I was, it was amusing, I think would be the best adjective to say. Uh, there was no distress or concern or, or, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth. I was just like, huh, this is an interesting turn of events. But that was just while I was in the coma. And then when I was out of ICU, off of life support, I said to myself, well, this fucking sucks. This is about as close as I can get to a near-death experience without actually dying and, you know, like, tripping over the threshold. Uh, so I was disappointed that the, the guides and things that I'd been working with up to that point, hadn't shown me anything. And so I went to sleep, and I had the traditional near-death experience. So I went through the tunnel, and I saw a bright light, and then I went into the light, and then within this light, I saw a brighter light. And for some reason, I knew that light had consciousness. And so I thought, hey, what's that? wonder what that is. And as soon as I thought... Like, I wonder what that is. Like, I, I wonder if I can figure out where that is. Immediately, I was there in front of it. And I said, who are you? I said, I'm everything. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and then there was kind of this feeling of, if you would like to connect, I have some things I want to share. And that's where we started to transition out of speaking in words to speaking in thought and energy. So like more and, telepathy. Yeah, I guess that would be like kind of the best words you can come up with. Um, there's a certain ineffability about this whole process where you try to convert the experience into language. It just gets diminished regardless. But yeah, that works as good as anything else. John, when you remember the, these things, is it like, like, your memory is so strong like it would happen yesterday or do you find that with time it it, it fades almost feeling like a dream um, some aspects fade some aspects remain like it happened yesterday <clears throat> God, and that's the way then there have been some things that have happened in my life since the near-death experience that like popped a file folder open it's like one day you go to sleep and you don't know what anything about anatomy, physiology, and then you wake up the next morning and you're a physician. It's almost like uh, the Matrix where you just you you go to sleep and there's this download, you wake up and then you just know something. And I've had that a couple of times. Okay. So, okay, so you get through the tunnel, you meet consciousness, they say they're everything. Then what happens? Take us to the field. So then I'm like, okay, so he offers to connect. And I'm like, sure, let's connect. And there was just like this rush, like you've just come over the top of the arch of a roller coaster. And everything accelerates and all this energy and all this information comes flooding in. And you're just like, whoa. And... That's when this light converted itself into a human-looking person and 
then it became George Carlin. <laughs> the interesting thing is, is that George Carlin wasn't dead. So whatever this thing was, it knew to show itself to me as George Carlin. Because, you know, if I saw Jesus Christ or Kuan Yin or Buddha, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Because I don't know if these people were real or if they were just really good stories that just got perpetuated. Um, so I saw what I needed to see. And a lot of people corroborate exactly that comment. You see who you need to see. <laughs> so that's just like what happened in South Park. When I saw George Carlin, I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking good. Uh, and so he started introducing me. Just like, so it's like, okay, so here's your grandparents. Oh, hi, how you doing? It's been a while. Uh, you know, here's a patient that was really connected to you while you were a nurse. Oh, cool. Hey, how you doing? Uh, and it just became this reconnection. You know, pets and friends and family and people, uh, people that like some dude I helped on the side of a road when he had a broken down car, just really peculiar type connections that some of them I knew were connections and some of them I had no idea were connections. But I made all this kind of circle and I'm like, OK, that's cool. <clears throat> and they're like, OK, are you ready for more? I'm like, yeah. And so the same thing, this huge wave of energy is like drinking from a fire hose. And you just go for like, holy shit, to yes, give me more. Uh, and so then it was like, okay, now I see I'm connected not just to those folks. I'm connected to everything on earth. Energetically, I'm connected to plants and trees and buildings and other people and dogs and uh, the past, present, and future. It's all an illusion. Time is something is just a construct. And I can reach backwards and forwards to connect with these folks anytime I want. Okay, I got that dialed in. All right. And then it, it just became this interplay back and forth. It's like they turn on the fire hose and then they stop. And it's like, are you ready? And it would take me a second or two. And I'd be like, yeah, okay, let's go. And they'd open up the fire hose again. And it got to the point where the last time they did that, when they turned off the fire hose, I saw what looked like a soccer ball, except I was inside the soccer ball. The edges of the ball were actually a gold crystalline type material with energy just pulsating all around it. And then it became more intricate. So that almost like a fractal type art and the best way I can describe it is, is I was actually inside a living snowflake. Then the next thing I, I see is, if you've ever read Harry Potter or seen uh, the movies, I'm standing on the Quidditch uh, soccer pitch. We'll do soccer. So I'm standing on this soccer pitch or this soccer field. I'm in the middle of the field. I'm standing next to George. I'm surrounded by a stadium of beings. Some of them are very corporeal and thick. Others are more translucent. Some of them are just like wisp of clouds or ovals of, of iridescent light. But they extend as far up as you can see. And so George says, hey, everybody, this is John. And the whole place goes, Hi, John. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Uh, and so I say hi to everybody. And then George says, and John is from Earth. And everybody went, 
Ooh. <laughs> I'm like, really? You're impressed that I'm on Earth? What the hell? And immediately I got the feedback of energy that Earth is a very tough place to be. It's a master level class. And I didn't understand that. And so I got more energy back. And it was, you can incorporate into a purely spiritual existence. You can incorporate into a purely physical existence. You want to step your game up, you incorporate into a physical and spiritual existence. But if you really want to step into the wild, wild west, you go to Earth. Okay. That's amazing because Lisa and I have always said, and, and actually I've never described it. Uh, we've never described it as the wild, wild west. Uh, we've described it as like the school of hard knocks here on earth. But like Lisa, this place, it's no joke, right? I think that's what I usually say. This is no joke. <laughs> <laughs> this shit's hard. Well, and that's what blew me away because I was like, you guys are impressed about earth. And they, they said that, you know, there are some souls that absolutely refuse to incarnate here. They would rather spend tens of thousands of years studying as opposed to incorporate into this place one time. And I was like, why? Why is this place? Why do you perceive this as such a scary place? And they said, well, first of all, you abdicate your connection to source. Second, this is one of the very few places where you can incorporate both in a physical and spiritual component, but the people around you can lie and be deceiving and deliberately work against whatever soul contract or whatever you're, I mean, before you step into your meat suit, you kind of go to the Akashic records or the cosmic Costco or whatever the hell you want to call it. Cosmic Costco? That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, the Cosmic Costco. It's like, okay, yeah, give me a couple of, give me a couple of uh, helpings of uh, abandonment. Uh, one, oh my god! One divorce experiment. Uh, give me a, a bankruptcy plan, and uh, give me all the players that will be necessary to institute that plan. That's awesome. I've never thought about it that way, but that makes complete sense to me. Yeah, so you grab your grocery list, you grab your meat suit, and you get ready to pop in. And then at the last second, your like mentor or spiritual guide or guru, guardian angel, you know, whatever the hell you want to call them, they kind of step in front of you and they're like, "Okay, you sure you want to do this? <laughs> You're like, fuck yeah, this will be great. Let's go. That's what Nicole and I say. I, I remind us that, okay, at some point we thought this was a good idea. <laughs> Let's just keep that in mind. Well, it is. It, well, okay, according to what you've just said, apparently to all our listeners out there, whoever's listening, each and every one of you, we're all rock stars for coming down to this planet right now. Each and every oh, yeah. one of us. <laughs> and, and that's what I tell people. That's what I tell people. It's like each and every one of you is a spiritual badass motherfucker. Because your ascended master or guru or whatever would not let you step into this plane 
if you couldn't handle it. But the trick of it is, is that you abdicate your connection to source. Yeah, so I went to a Catholic grade school, high school, and college. Sorry. And, yeah, no doubt. I saw a couple of <laughs> you know what? You know what? Stop, Lisa. I actually enjoyed my Catholic school, so... You know, I, I got thrown out of my junior high school religion class because I told, I told the nun I had no respect for Jesus. Oh, well, I got thrown out of my grade 12 religion class, so <laughs> we have something in common. <laughs> I got well, thrown out of law classes, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> well, I guess we're all in good company then. Yes. Yeah. Rebellious. All right. Continue. Well, I, I told I told uh, I told sister that uh, I told sister Madonna, of course, I told sister Madonna, I said, I'm not impressed with Jesus because he came down knowing full well that he was connected to God. And she said, well, explain yourself. And I said, well, it's the difference between being poor and being a millionaire pretending you're being poor. We come down here being poor. Jesus came down being poor and knowing he was a millionaire. That's true. So when we abdicate our connection and our knowledge that we're connected to source and that we're part of this grand divinity, life looks fucking hard. It looks, it looks impossible at times. And so with this near-death experience, I realized, holy shit, we're all ascended masters here. We are all badasses. Otherwise, we couldn't have incarnated here. Now we may have been, we may have chosen to incarnate as douchebags. We <laughs> chose to incarnate as presidents of the United States. But we're all here to play a role and play a part. And sometimes a hero needs a villain. You can't measure a hero until you see the villain that he's beaten. Ah, okay. Well, this is true, and this is the whole reason why we have duality is so that we can appreciate. We can learn to appreciate um, that which is good, that which makes us joyous. You know, you you can't appreciate the light without the dark. True. But I also think, I mean, because when I tell people that my belief is that everyone who's here on this rock right now is a spiritual all-star, they start pulling out examples. Well, what about Hitler? What about Trump? What about uh, Weinstein? I'm like, yeah, they're all douchebags. But look what they have inspired. Would we have had the Million Woman March without help? Would we have had the Me Too movement where women are finally asserting their authority without the Me Too movement? Sometimes you need to kick people in the ass to get them off the bench and get them into the game. Well... I don't know if I agree with you on some of that. I know Michael's going to say the same thing. I don't necessarily agree with the Me Too movement because I think it's hijacked. I think, though, what he's trying to say, Nicole, I mean, I can understand his point. Yeah, I understand like, the point. I understand the point. Even, even if it's been hijacked by, you know, douchebags, uh, it probably still did help out some people that were struggling as well. So I can, I can understand that side of the point. You know? Yeah. I agree. It's helping people to find their voice and to start standing up for what a, they believe a, in. A lot of things start off good and then get hijacked by douchebags. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is the human experience. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Well, I never thought we would see a representative come out of Texas that was female, Latina, and lesbian. Oh, yeah, I saw that. But I think that that would not have occurred if we didn't have this confluence of energies that have been brought about by President Asshat. <laughs> I like our president. <laughs> I concur with Michael. <laughs> but I like our president for the fact that he has overturned the status quo, that he has made people realize that we can't use the same thinking that we used with other presidents. And I like the fact that he's got this. There's so many Americans are just these lazy assholes that will like, Oh, I'm clicking a button, so I'm I'm an activist. No, sometimes you got to get dressed, get off the couch, get out into the sunlight, and show up with a crowd of other people. And I think that our president has inspired that. And so, from that level, I truly appreciate. I mean that our president. And 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 again, that could be easily said about so many things. Like I think. I mean, if, you, if you're a huge pro-Donald Trump fan, the only reason Donald Trump is there is because of Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah. And so, and Hillary Clinton, too, for that matter. Uh, so, you know, it's like, it is, it, I agree with your line of thinking, absolutely. Well, I think if you try to decide on a Democrat or Republican side, you're trying to argue which end of a dog turd is the cleanest. Exactly, 100%, 100%. Definitely agree. But, okay, so take us back to the Quidditch match or the soccer game where everyone's ooing and aahing about you being from Earth. What happens next? Uh, so I get this energy exchange about how everyone here is a spiritual badass and we all have roles to play and we couldn't have gotten here unless we had a guy that basically said, okay, you can handle it, go. And so after I was in that kind of like mutual appreciation energy, this kind of like flow, this like, wow, I'm really happy to be here and I'm glad you guys are here. And they're like, wow, we're really glad you're here and, and the sacrifices and challenges you're willing to absorb as we learn from you. Uh, it's almost like we're reality TV for the spiritual realm. But as this kind of like reciprocity was going on, all of a sudden I started hearing something. And I don't know how else to describe it in human words because I really hate her music. But it sounded like Enya style music. It was very ethereal and light and kind of wispy. Um, but it was it was flat out gorgeous. I like Enya. No, I hated Enya. <laughs> Oh my god! He's like everything you don't like, John. I'm liking. No, okay. no, I hated Enya. I listened to that my first year massaging in a massage therapy spa, and I just about wanted to put knives well, through my yeah. eyeballs. If you, if you listen I to like it. Over again, you'll end up hating it. Sorry. Uh, so now, Michael, you'll probably end up saying that you you uh, uh, you don't like people who channel. How about that? I don't know. Well, yeah, I've had a few problems with some past guests, or at least uh, in the past that I believe were bullshitting us, but I'm not sitting there. Like, I, I try to 
like, this is something I've told Nicole and, and I think Lisa too, is like, I just try not to be sitting there on a throne saying, I'm so certain about this and I'm so certain about that, just because I think that's where most people get into trouble. Well, actually, I'm, I'm getting a message right now. Um, damn, Michael, how many pets have you had in your lifetime? Uh, just one. Who's a fish? Who's a fish? I'm, no I'm idea. Seeing a fish. No Michael, idea. Michael, you had a fish and you flushed a fish while it was still alive. No. Oh my <laughs> god! And it's and it's and it's talking to me. It's saying, Michael, I was just taking a nap. Don't don't flush me down the toilet. Now you're bullshitting me. <laughs> See, it's just that easy. It's just that easy to make up. It's you just, just that easy to make up. Story. I love it. You that's, fish, that's the way I feel. Like, well, no, like, okay. All seriousness put aside, though, or in, back to it, is like, I believe there's a lot of, if there is channeling, there's a lot of douchebags that hijack that and ruin that image for a lot of people. You can yeah. look at it at any industry. Dude, I went from being a teacher to being a nurse to being a pharmaceutical researcher. And I thought these were noble professions. And there are douchebags and asshats in every profession, every walk of life. And if they have a chance to be a sociopath and co-opt that for their own gain, they're going to do it. Unfortunately, we need to have the discernment to to weed out their douchebaggery. I just want to say that I feel like I've dated half the douchebags on this planet, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's plenty more, Nicole. (laughs) Plenty more. Hopefully you won't date them. Yeah, I've been steering clear for the last couple of years, but. Oh my God, the, the last date I went on, it was like, so I granted, I, I am not your typical date. But that being said, I'm on a date and I'm talking about my dog and my cat. And so she's like, well, tell me about your dog. So I told her about my dog. And she's like, well, what do you like about your cat? And I said, you know the thing I really like about cats? She's like, what's that? I said, I really like that the white meat tastes like chicken. <laughs> She was so pissed. She got up and left. No sense of humor. Never going to work. <laughs> no. It's good to find that out early on. Exactly. Yeah. It's, good, it's good to weed that shit out early. But what was really funny was that after she left, um, there was like a couple sitting next to me. And you could tell they were eavesdropping, but they weren't trying to be obvious about it. And so I, I looked over at them and I'm like, yeah, I guess I don't need a toothpick now. And the guy just <laughs> bust out laughing, and the girlfriend's like slapping him to keep him from laughing, which had made him laugh harder. <laughs> and I ended up just having dinner with them for the rest of the night. So, you know, what the hell? It wasn't a lo- complete loss, at least. <laughs> oh, I can appreciate that, John. Yeah, there's, there's certain questions you learn that you just have to, like, get out of the way really early. It's like, you know... Uh, do you have a sense of humor? One of the other questions I asked is like, do you like to give or receive a Dutch oven? 
<laughs> Michael, what's your answer? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't do potty humor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, I forgot your dad's listening. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. It's just I really after I dropped the f bomb, he said, "I'm not editing that out." <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. D- denial is admission, just in another way. <laughs> I, just, I just like to talk in a respectful way when I know my parents are nearby. <laughs> Luckily, that's me- what's going on with you. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. Luckily, me and my father have such a debaucherous conversation style that I just don't give a shit. <laughs> so it's take it or leave it. If you don't like it, leave it. If you do, yay. There you go. Fleas come with the dog. Exactly. <laughs> so as you're having this near-death experience and and things are sort of being shown to you and you're understanding that the energy and the way the oneness works and the choices that you have and all the things that you said, how does that – I'm trying to understand like this this matrix that we live in and the fact that this really isn't – real anyway and i'm trying to understand like this you know we come down to earth to try this stuff but where where are we really going and what is it that we're really doing because it's from what i you know know and understand this isn't even really real anyway it's a manifestation in a hologram of our own mind so how does that work do you have any clarity on that Wow, how much crack have you smoked? <laughs> Not much. Just, just kidding. Uh, so, huh. So a lot of this discussion has been about my near-death experience, but that happened when I was 36 years old. I got on this metaphysical train at nine. So between those two time periods, I've done some other stuff. And to answer your question, I'm going to have to leave the near-death experience and talk to you about my experience with astral projecting. Are you okay with that? Of course. Just go wherever you need to go. Okay. Uh, Well, it's weird when you talk to people. It's like, oh, I totally believe in Yeti and Bigfoot and and UFOs. I'm like, I had a near-death experience. Like, what are you, a crazy dude? Yeah, we're we're quite used to that on this program. (laughs) Okay. All right, so um, so my dad used to beat me, and my way to escape that was to leave my body. And previously, it was just kind of like to step above my body, watch the event going on, and when he would leave, then I would go back into body and go to sleep. And when I was 14 years old, I was riding my bike past a garage sale, and I went into the garage sale, and I bought a box of books for two bucks. One of the books I bought was Far Journeys by Robert Monroe. Uh, and I don't know if you guys know about hemisync and right and left hemisphere stimulation. That's what he made his money on. But he actually, uh, the Monroe Institute, actually teaches you how to do absolute projection, which is just a different stair step from the same ladder of consciousness. But I was projecting out. And so I was projecting out to family and friends, and then I started projecting out into space and out of planets. Then it turns out that there are places out there that are kind of like the Star Wars cantina. 
Oh, John, sorry, you're cutting out a lot right now. I swear to God, I'm not even moving. I'm right in front of the computer. Yeah, I'm sure it's not you. I don't know why the connection keeps coming out. Because it's the energy, and it does this to our guests sometimes. (laughs) Michael, what's your explanation? (laughs) Uh, It's weak internet because someone's downloading porn next door. There you go. But you can go with the energy thing. I think either answer is entirely accurate. <laughs> so what was I saying? I completely lost my train. You were talking about the gentleman who wrote the book and he taught astral projection. Ah, so yeah. So far journeys by Robert Monroe. Um, so I got a hold of this book and it basically was an instruction manual on how to disassociate your consciousness from yourself and go places and do things with it. And so I started doing that and I just kept going further and further until I discovered this place that was like the Star Wars cantina, except it was an energetic meeting place, not a physical meeting place. And while I was in this energetic meeting place, I'm like, so what is the earth and why are we here and what is the plan and what's going on? And it basically boils down to it's a playground and there are multiple entities, physical and non-physical, evolved and not so evolved. And this place is like the community Petri dish. Oh, that's a good way of describing it. And so there are multiple experiments going on. There are multiple comic operas and plays going on and dependent upon where you are in your evolutionary process as a homo sapien or as something else the earth is here for you to use for your experiment so when you ask why are we here i can answer for myself but i can't answer for you because i don't know what plays you have elected to be a part of or not be a part do you, is there like another, do you think there's like another earth that's more PG as far as the uh, ratings go? If we're like on the wild, wild west, like more like a, yes, like, yes. Within um, our, within our universe, or do you think like there's different universes, different planes, I guess? Dude, within our solar system, there are places that are similar to earth in the sense that humans can exist there. Gotcha. But they don't look like earth. Right. They're underground. Oh, you and Nicole. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) Well, I did hear that most planets, you don't live actually on the crust. It's you live inside the planet. One of my very first uh, off world jumps Uh, I was probably 17, was to the moon. And it looks like a junkyard. There's all this beat-up ships and buildings and crap. It It looks like Indiana Jones would have a field day. And how long it's been there, I have no idea. But it's ancient. And so while I was there in a a projection form, 
I asked the stupid question. I said, well, show me something interesting. Kind of sarcastic. But the next thing I know is that I'm underground in the moon. And I'm seeing a base. Looks like a hangar. But it's, again, it's all beat to hell and it's old and it's dirty and, and just ancient again. And I'm looking at the ships and none of the ships are uniform. They're all different and they're all in different states of repair or disrepair. And so I'm like, oh my God, I got to make sure I memorize this so I can sketch it when I get back. I'm looking at all these different ships and, you know, this looks like this and this looks like that. And wow, that person had to be really tall to fly this or this person had to be really tiny or, you know, whatever. And as I'm walking around looking at these things, I around one of the ships and there's this like eight foot tall reptilian dude wearing a gray jumpsuit that looks like it's been like painted on. Well, I'm just going to say we've breached it. Michael's excited. <laughs> Michael, you, you've been waiting for, like, some good reptilian talk. Oh, no, I, I knew it was coming. I mean, <laughs> it comes from you, like, every other day. It seems no, like, what but, are you yeah. talking about? No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd heard about this before, and I frankly I thought it was a load of bullshit. This actually, John, let me tell you a story. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... This is when Nicole started talking about this stuff to me a long time ago. This is probably what possessed the podcast. Really, it truly is. <laughs> yes, this is actually how this podcast came to be. I was like, aliens podcast. Yeah, is the alien talk. Uh, yeah, well, the alien or terrestrial aliens. I don't know, like <laughs> the Earth or wherever. Um, yeah, that blew my mind, and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about, Nicole? This is, you know, I, I was worried for her mental health." <laughs> Oh, and at the I, same I, time, wait, at the same time, you were very intrigued. Well, yeah, I love a great story. And I'm, I'm a very, like, I love, um, like, like, John, when you describe the moon and things like that, it's like, now I'm assuming you can go backwards and forwards in time when you project, I'm, I'm imagining, yes? Yes. So, I mean, maybe something in the future, because I remember having a very vivid dream about looking up towards the moon, and it just looked like, so many cities and things like that were on the moon. Like like the way you would look down from an airplane when you fly over a city. Right. And I just remember that so well in my mind. And I had that dream like maybe about a year ago or so. Or you never less. told me about that. I don't need to tell you about all my dreams. Oh, my God. Why are you holding out? This is the stuff that I live for. Okay, hold These on a second. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, John, can you can, – I don't know. <laughs> Okay, yeah, sure, it's a dream. John, I've... Seriously, I dream about the most random crap. I don't believe everything I dream about. No, of course, but um, I I mean, it's been said before, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Uh, but it's said that on the dark side of the moon is where all the stuff is. It's where some stuff is. Underground, under the moon is where it all... Do you know what a, a, a Buckminster or what a Buckyball is? No. No. So Buckminster Fuller was an architect back in the 60s, and he was trying to get people to start building homes in a dome configuration. And one of the things that he postulated was that advanced uh, civilizations would have created hollow uh, spheres to which they could traverse space because the sphere itself would be a protection device, but all of the... Uh, 
all of the materials and living people and, and whatever would be inside. And if you look at some of the things that have been going on with the moon the past couple of years, we've been like hurling rocks at the moon and listening to it rain. So sorry, listening to what? Listening to the moon ring. Oh, okay. Uh, a couple of years ago, literally a couple of years ago, I think probably 2014 or 13, uh, we had a satellite that was going to go around the moon and look for this weird oxygen that was, uh, instead of O2, it's an O3, and also to scan for water. And after it did this thing, we were going to then crash it into the moon because you know, it had served its purpose. Uh, but some would argue that the real purpose was to hit the moon and see what happened. And allegedly, the satellite crashed into the moon, and when it did, the moon resonated for nearly two hours, like something that was hollow. Oh, okay. So this would then explain that there is something indeed inside, that it's not solid all the way through. I, I think the moon is an enormous duck blind that showed up a few hundred thousand years ago. A duck blind? Yeah, when you go hunting ducks, you hide in a duck blind so that they don't see you. Kind of camouflage, isn't it? Yeah. It looks like a space object, but it's artificial. I've heard that the moon is artificial. I've heard that. I've heard that it was made out of cheese. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. <laughs> so when you did this astral projecting and you went to the moon, because there are, you know, time is an illusion and all that what it was it at the the same time that you were in or was it future or past yeah so that was before i realized that when you set your intention to to jump that you also need to set a time because when you jump you just it just arbitrarily sends you whenever um so you learned how to navigate the time to make sure that you're going in the now or were you choosing to go in the future or the past? So I actually was trying to figure out what the hell was going on with the pyramids and the Sphinx. And so I was jumping there and I was going back a thousand years at a time. You know and what this reminds me of, John? I'm, I, I, I hate to interrupt too, but like, if you're an avid watcher of Game of Thrones, it's like, you know, the, the tree... Do you watch Game of Thrones, John? No, I don't. Okay, so Nicole, do you know what I'm talking oh, about with the tree and yes, Brandon? Yes, yes, and, and the Raven. And basically, it's a, it's the same exact scenario that you're talking about. You go back and forth. Now, one question I have because of that show, they couldn't influence the actions that were going around them. It was like they were just like ghosts, if you will, just watching things happen. Could you influence and interact with when you jumped around? Yes and no. So when I when I jump back and forth and look at things that are going on, I'm a total observer. But there was a time when I was doing some ghost hunting, and I would I would jump to the house the day before we would show up as a group, and I could I could interact with the ghosts. And then when I was on uh, when I was on the moon and when I was on Mars, there are some entities that don't see me, and there are some that do. So it kind of just depends on what "quote unquote" dimension they're on in, or something like that. I think it's a situational awareness. 
I mean, have you ever seen the video where it's like uh, you're supposed to watch guys playing basketball and count all the white jerseys? And then at the end of the video, they said, did you see a gorilla? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah I've seen that. Yeah, so I, I think some of it has to do with focused attention. Because when I, when I rounded that spaceship and saw the reptilian there, he was just as surprised to see me as I was him. Because we both had this kind of like what-the-fuck energy as we looked at each other. And he was like, you're not supposed to be here. And I'm like, you're not supposed to see me. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Can you tell us what this reptilian looked like? <laughs> uh, pretty much your comic book traditional thing. I mean, a, a, a humanoid bipedal torso with two arms and a head extremely friggin muscular and had no shoes so you could see the the clawed feet um clawed hands and was not not unlike a um an iguana type head so okay have you because michael and i and i think lisa have watched the show people of earth have you ever seen the show people of earth no oh my god john you need to watch the show people of earth and, and to all our listeners if you're into this stuff and you can laugh at it you gotta watch people of earth so um what color are you gonna ask it, nicole what there's uh, <laughs> humans walking around that aren't really humans. Like you pull the skin off and they're actually reptilians. Do you believe that, John? I've heard that. It's like a bunch of like uh, bloodlines or uh, really reptilians. I, I, I just I don't know. I've never seen it. I'm, I'm still enough of being from the Missouri state that I got to <laughs> see it. I got to touch it. I got to you know play with it before I figure out what it is. And sometimes that quote-unquote seeing, touching is done when I'm projecting. But I can tell you that I have not seen any kind of shape-shifting other than the movie They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> but I can also tell you that I have seen reptilian entities under the earth and under the moon. Interesting. Is that all you have to say, Michael? <laughs> oh, I got tons, but we only got like 25 more minutes, so I'm trying to keep it down. But, oh, man, no, I could I could definitely hang with you, John, and have like a, a very entertaining night. On tequila, okay. tequila. Michael, let me, th let me throw you a sentence I throw at people, and then I kind of gauge the look in their face on whether I need to uh, <laughs> get out of Dodge before they issue a restraining order or whether I can keep talking. I mean, believe me, I've been tested with these two that are on here. So, <laughs> well, enter entertain us. We'd like we'd like to hear the entertaining night on air. So, okay. So here, here's here's my sentence. You ready? I will astral project back to a previous lifetime. Introduce myself to myself. Explain why they are about to die in a very horrible death and why it's necessary for our soul's growth. 
I then give them Reiki during their death process so it doesn't hurt as bad. And then I project back and do a self-assessment to see if that was an improvement or a diminishment. Of what? Of how you were feeling? Of how you're feeling? It's or? like Back to the Future. Like he tweaked the history to see what the future is going to be like. Well, I mean, because you're saying because you carry over these experiences from previous lives. So you're doing this to help yourself in this life? Well, he's also like administering basically um, energetic health care to his old self while just before he's about to go through a, a very traumatic death experience so that he can come out of it okay. And he's explaining to him why he needs to go through this death experience for his soul's evolution. Right, I understand that, but so how do you, has it changed how you feel? Has it changed, had any impact on this current life that you're in? That's a good question. Uh, I think that, so I'll tell you, uh, so the longest time I would have this dream where I'm standing on the side of the Titanic as it's sinking. I've got one foot on the Titanic and one foot in a lifeboat. And I'm hoisting people one at a time onto the lifeboat. Until I get to a point where I'm realizing, uh uh-oh, we're running out of room. And I'm still helping people over, but I'm realizing I'm about to run out of space. And then I get to the very last seat. And I look at the line of people still waiting to get on on the lifeboat. And then I tried to decide, do I take the last seat or do I put one more person on and then I go down with the Titanic and everybody else? And I would say for maybe eight to ten years, I would have this dream and I would go down with the boat. Once I started doing this, uh, some people call it soul fragment retrieval. Once I started doing this self-healing the dream changed and I get on the last seat. And I choose to interpret that as that previously my self-worth at a core level was I'm not worth saving. And because of the work I'm doing, I think I've healed to the point where, yeah, you know what? I am worth saving. That's actually a really, um, a really cool point to bring up because I think we've talked about this on a previous episode but that this whole idea that loving yourself means or even just love in general, whether you're, it's you or you, maybe someone, your family member, an intimate partner, that love is sacrifice. And, you know, what I've learned is that love isn't sacrifice, but that's like a false idea of what love is that we has been projected on us. And, and, mm. and it's something that you learn that. You know, when you think about it, you get you you started to realize how much you were capable of affecting change in the world and how many people you were able to help that if you had saved yourself, you'd be able to continue that work. But by sacrificing yourself, all those people that you could have helped now don't get that help. I, I'm, I'm kind of in line. I see where you're going with this. So so, for example, if I would have died back in 2005, then everything that came from that time frame would not have occurred. 
And one of the things that I participated in was I helped come up with a treatment protocol for women who have breast cancer when they have a negative ER, HER gene expression. So if I would have checked out, maybe that wouldn't have happened. But I can also tell you that while at that time period, I felt it would be noble to fall upon my own sword. Uh, the wife I had at that time would have just bitched at the uh, blood stain I would have left on the carpet. <laughs> so, uh, isn't isn't that though like the reflection of many relationships <laughs> when it comes down to it? <laughs> well, and and. I was guilty of, of, uh, I was guilty of being a fixer. You know, uh, I'm a guy, so I fix things. Yeah, I was just say that's a, that's like a guy thing. More so yeah. like want to fix everything. But I mean, so, I mean, I became a teacher right out of college and I mean, when I came out of college, my goal was to teach ancient medieval literature during the school year and then sing summer stock opera. Um, but while, while we make plans, God laughs. So what is your, your view on, on God and, and this capital G God that so many believe in? I don't know. That is one of my constant mental chew toys. Can you go back all the way? I mean, so if you had so many lives, like if you are on that type of train, like Lisa and Nicole, can you back? Can you go back to the OG day, like your your origination day? Or is there such a thing? I mean, that's see, this is where I have a real challenge with this whole concept of even with if you just live one life or many lives. Still, though. Where did you come from? Where did this energy come from? All that kind of stuff. So I, I, I've uncovered about 14 previous lives, and I've explored each one of them in a certain degree of detail. Some of them on a lot of detail and others just kind of a cursory look. But I got to a certain point where I realized that if I spend the rest of this life looking in the rearview mirror, I'm not going to accomplish anything I'm meant to do in this one. So I stopped. Okay. Um, so I was able to go back to like a proto-human caveman type existence. But I've also been told by other folks that my very first incarnation was not on this planet, but was within the uh, Sirius star system. Close to 100,000 years ago. You never, like, you've that's, been... that's verifiable. Thanks a lot for that. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> did you have a choice of where you can go as far as your life? Or as, like, I, I'm looking at this as like, you can skip around, like you can skip around on a video. Uh, can you, could you have the choice to have gone back to the original life? I don't know. I, based upon everything that I've done so far, it seems plausible. Um, but so when I tried to explain this to people, it's like, have you ever played a video game and then you went back and played it again, but you tried a different character 
or you tried for a better score, or you yeah, went yeah. left when you should have went right. It's like, why aren't you tired of playing the game? It's like, well, I'm playing all the permutations. The same thing with life and stepping into a meat suit. You're playing with the variations. You're playing. It's almost like jazz. I mean, you, you, you get this riff from somebody, and so you bend it and twist it and play around with it, invert the chords, and you know, do a diminished, do an augmented, and then you hand it off to somebody else, and you hand it off to four or five musicians, and we each take it and spin it and put our own stank on it, and then pass it off to somebody else. Or if you look at it as cars and drivers, I mean, you put Mario Andretti into a 78 Pinto, there's only so much he's going to get out of it. Conversely, you put a 17-year-old a uh, fresh out of driver's ed into a, a Formula One, I don't think he's going to get it out of the pits. So we're, we're the driver that continues car after car, lifetime after lifetime, meat suit after meat suit, gaining knowledge, experience, wisdom, so that when we do make it into the next meat suit, we get to do something grander or better or more exciting. I, I have one more question. Well, I'm thousands of more questions, but one more before I just shut up for a bit. Um, if you can choose a meat suit, why would you choose one that said that, like, let's say you're a miscarriage or you pass away within one month of being born? What's the point in all of that? Is it to help somebody else or you go and you you go to the Costco factory of what you want to experience in life. You're like, oh, mm, I don't even want to experience life, so I'm just going to quit real early. Have you ever saved a friend's life? Oh, no, not yet. <laughs> okay. Um, has anyone saved yours? No. Thankfully. I no, I'd like to beg to differ. Uh <laughs> what? what? Okay, so there's too much gravitas. Let me let me back up here a little bit. Um, if you're in an elevator and someone comes in and farts in that elevator and then gets off the elevator, they were briefly in your life, but I'm willing to bet they taught you a lesson. Well, see, so that's what that, that's what I was asking. Was it to teach some? Your life was to teach somebody else's life a lesson in those situations. Absolutely, because the only way we can experience life is to experience all of the variations. We have been the murdered and the murderer. This is kind of like a weird, it's a weird thing to believe in because it's like, what is the point? What, what are we going, what's the goal here? Do you know who Scott Adams is? No. The, the, the uh, cartoonist who draws Dilbert. Okay. He has a, a he has a little, literally, a little teeny tiny book out there called God's Debris. And so far, this is the best explanation that feels mostly right. The book basically boils down to God has been forever. God knows everything. The only thing God hasn't done was destroy himself. And so God decided, okay, let's do that because I've been around forever and it's the only thing I don't know. And so God 
destroys himself into, you know, a gazillion teeny tiny little pieces. And each one of us are one of those little pieces. Each one of us is a piece of God's debris. And so we spend the rest of our existence growing in complexity, wisdom, and hopefully towards a state of reassimilation. Reassimilation, or perhaps even like I'm imagining when you describe that, like you know the the, the I, I I'm I'm just thinking of like a random worm type thing that you cut in half and it becomes two worms and you cut those in halves and they become four worms, you know, so on so on. So it's like just I'm just kind of spitting this out of my head, but like it could be like God destroyed himself to make many other gods or stars destroys itself to make other stars and, or reassimilate. Because if that's what, if, if, if that's what you're saying, John, then all of us are connected. And I, and I like to think that way too. And that will all become back to that one perfect being, if you will, that is all powerful and almighty. So that's perhaps why when you, when Lisa asked you, What's your take on God? Well, it's hard to explain because God is everything, like what we keep saying in, in our lives. To me, God is unconditional love. And when I, <clears throat> when I experienced that, I realized that my marriage was not that. My childhood was not that. In fact, I had not experienced unconditional love in this lifetime at all. And so when I came back, I still had that emotional IQ. It's like once you know what you're missing, then you spend the rest of your life looking. That's that's very true, actually, because, you know, I had that experience in uh, a meditation during my 10 days of silent meditation where I understood what pure bliss, joy, happiness, love was, where I was content with everything, didn't need to change anything, didn't feel a need to change anything about myself, anything about my surroundings. I was happy exactly with the way everything was. And, and, And knowing what that feels like, gives me some sort of gauge of where I am in my life now and if I'm and if I'm even close to that because that was such a surreal experience to be able to tap into that because at, up until that point I had no idea what love was I had no idea I thought I knew and then when I had that experience I knew I had never known love yet in my life and so I I really resonate with what you just said I feel like that love is super rare I don't. I mean, I feel like you'd be super blessed if you actually experienced that love. Okay, but why? It. But why do you that's think it is? To, that's supposed to be our natural state, though. That feeling yeah. of bliss is our natural state. I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's super rare with with today's current environment. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's what makes this coming to Earth so difficult as well. We don't have that remembrance like John said of being connected to source and what that feeling of true bliss and love is John what's your take on the Bible (laughs) (laughs) good source of entertainment (laughs) 
Spec, specks of truth in there. I had a professor uh, of English tell me one time, writing is the art of rewriting the rewrite you've previously rewritten. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think the Bible is a collection of oral traditions from wise individuals that has been repeatedly... Through the, through the telephone game of written down? Yes, it's been, well, but the telephone game is, is somewhat innocuous in the sense that you, the listener is not hearing correctly, whereas the Bible has been deliberately manipulated by the powers that be in whatever century to propagate and perpetuate the system that was in place. So, you know, the... Um, the previous one I don't think has any malfeasance. It's just a question of, you know, did you turn your hearing aid up? Whereas the other one I think is a deliberate attempt to uh, manage the, the manage the sheep. Yeah. Have you read any of the Gnostic texts? No. Uh, the Nag Hammadi? This is all new to me. Are you familiar with the Council of Nicaea? <laughs> yeah, again, all new to me. Yeah, I, I haven't even heard of that. 1972. Yeah, you should know the Council of Nicaea, Michael. Okay, how about this? Uh, apologies to any Catholics listening. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. Any of that ring any bells with you guys? Yeah. yeah. So that's called the Nicene Creed. Oh, the okay. The Nicene Creed. Oh, yeah. the Council that, of that, Nicaea. That it came out of the Council of Nicaea in 529. But what the Council of Nicaea was, was it was basically taking the, the corpus of literature and deciding what do we want to keep and what do we want to throw away? And how do we want to massage this myth of Jesus so that it serves the powers that be? And so but, if, if we're trying to keep a patrilineal uh, control system, we definitely want to pitch out the, the story of Mary Magdalene and anything that Jesus might have said about how much Mary was his favorite. Come on. Well, I've, and I've mentioned this numerous times on our podcast, but the book Saving Jesus by... Mary Magdalene lives down the road from me, so... <laughs> oh, that's true. But Michael Ledwith wrote Saving Jesus, and it really, if it explains so much about the Bible, and if you want an understanding of, you know, if you're questioning the Bible and wanting to understand, I think it's a, it's a great read for any Christian. Have you guys, uh, you guys ever heard of Mithra? No. I'll tell you what. Uh, Google Mithra versus Jesus. And you're going to get your fanny slapped and you realize that Jesus is nothing but a perpetuation of the god Mithra that existed nearly 2,000 years before Jesus Christ. Okay, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play devil's advocate right now for all my Jesus lovers out there. <laughs> Not that I feel any which way about it, but... Is it not possible that that same spirit incarnated 2,000 years later? Oh, yeah. There was this Jew Jewish carpenter who got hit on the head by a hammer, <laughs> and uh, this walk-in spirit of Mithra decided to step into Jesus. That would be amazing. The Catholic religion is based upon a walk-in. 
So one of the one of the things that got me thinking about consciousness was after all this experience of this near death experience and astral projecting, I come back with all these memories and experiences, and yet none of them came in through the five sensory apparatus that comes with this meat suit. It's like, how is it that I can have so much information and knowledge that I've written multiple stories for online magazines and, and written a couple of books? And I mean, you may want to say it's, it's imagination, but these, these things, I mean, I guess it boils down to whether you trust me as a uh, message carrier or not. But in my mind, these things are not of my imagination. These are memories that I can recall. But they didn't come in through the apparatus of this meat suit that allows us to bring in information and create memories. So then it's like, well, obviously who I am and the meat suit that carries who I am are two different things. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to pop out of my body when, you know, dad was going to town with the belt. And then later on in life, when I'm able to pick up knowledge and go, like, for example, I have a friend of mine in France, and uh, he thought this astral projection stuff was bullshit. I said, fine, put, a, put an object out. I'll go look at it. I'll tell you what it is. And so he's in France. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I project out. I grab some stuff. I come back, and I said, okay, it's wispy. It's not hard like a rock or a stone. It's almost like a gauze type of material. It has wind. It has something to do with wind. And this gauzy material and wind uh, also have color. And I see red stripes and I see stars. I see stars on a dark background. He said, dude, I put an American flag on top of my stereo. Like, okay, well, I think that qualifies. Wind, wispy, gauzy, <laughs> blue background, white stars, red stripes. Yeah, I, I, I think that counts. And he's like, dude, you're fucking scaring me. How do you do that? And so I've been teaching him how to do remote viewing. Okay, this is, this is actually very interesting to me because I don't think we really talked about remote viewing other than like astral projection, um, but... Remote viewing's different than astral projection, is it not? It's a different rung on the same ladder. Yeah, okay. So, if say, say Michael is interested in trying to learn how to remote view, how would you, how would you start Michael off on that journey? Well, my first question would be, does it scare you? Nope. Okay. Then my next question would be, um, basically what I would do is I would set up target objects where I live and I would allow him into where I live uh, because I've got like a protection grid around where, I, where I'm at. But then I would allow, allow him to come in and I would allow him to observe this thing and then I would show, I would tell him what were hits and what were not hits. Because the brain, the brain wants to solve a problem. 
And so if you look at something and say, oh, that's a fire trap, then it stops. The remote viewing process stops. So the first thing you need to train your brain is, I want to see the elements of the thing, but don't tell me what the thing is. And so if I put a fire truck out there, I want you to say, oh, it's red, and I see black wheels, and I see a ladder, and uh, it makes a lot of noise. Um, it shows up places where people are in distress or where there's fires. And eventually you have enough criteria that you'll come up with the conclusion, oh, this must be a fire truck. But the, the trick of it is, is that as soon as your brain decides it's something, it shuts down. And until you build up that body of proof, then you really don't have any proof. Have you guys heard of Project Stargate? Oh, the TV show. Um, no, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> you mean it's not entertainment? <laughs> <clears throat> oh, it's totally entertainment, just like Honey Boo Boo. Oh, <laughs> so in in the uh, the nineteen fifties, we started a disinformation campaign and telling Russia that we had psychic spies. Russia lost their damn mind, and so they set about trying to create psychic spies as well, and they were successful. Did we really? This is awesome. Why, why can't this be like something that's taught in American history? <laughs> I, would have, I would have so paid attention in school. I know, me too. Stuff. I agree. I agree. I hated history. I thought it was so boring. But if this was the shit that was taught to me, I would have been like front row and center early to class. Is that, John? I believe. <laughs> That's the point of school, though, to be boring and dumb you down. There's a certain moment in my life. Yahtzee. There's a certain moment in my life where, it, like, for at least two months of my life where I did not believe we had landed on the moon. I believed it was all staged. And... I still sometimes even teeter back and forth on that belief. So I was like, I, if, if we did do this stuff for propaganda sake, show it to us. This is a fascinating stuff. Well, <laughs> so yeah. Um, <clears throat> wait, wait. You believe we landed on the moon, John, in 1969? Yes. All right. So like, I believe that too. But there was a certain point where I'm like, going, I, I almost was convinced that the American government was so sneaky with their propaganda that they could totally elaborate or not elaborate, but like really make it look like we did jump on the moon before Russia just to screw with Russia's mind. Well, and so I, yeah, that was part of the disinformation. So we told them we had psychic spies. They lost their mind. And so they went about creating psychic spies. They had success with their psychic spies. So then we said, holy shit, we've got to catch up now. You open up Pandora's box. Right. <laughs> and so we set about creating psychic spies. And that, if you go on to, Google, or, uh, go on to uh, Wikipedia and look up uh, Project Stargate, you'll find that's exactly what that was. And one of the lead psychic spies that we had was a sergeant named Joe McGonigal. And I've had several classes from Joe McGonigal. So I started out doing things just kind of half-assed. You know, it's kind of like you buy something from Ikea. You try to build it, and then you read the instructions. That's what I did with astral projection. I just started doing it, and then thought, such, well, maybe I need to learn guy. some stuff. Such a guy thing. That's exactly how I do it with Ikea. <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, you just want to grip it and rip it, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, like the instructions is the last resort. 
Exactly. Exactly. Meanwhile, Lisa and I are like, okay, photocopies, lay everything out, lay all the uh, tools out in a line, all the no, like, we, instruments. We <laughs> actually, I'm, yeah, I'm like, exactly dude. like the guy who comes to putting things together. I know. I got to I, I gotta admit, so am I, but I got to... I love being a guy because I love just diving in and going, I'm, I'm going to fit. I, you know what? I got dressers that are not put together the correct way. And I'm just like, you know what? I did it better. You, you got you got five extra screws, but somehow it's all staying yeah. together. You always, wait, you always wake up with like extra tools and extra uh, nuts yeah. and bolts. And like, These are nothing. I don't need them. I created. It doesn't say duct tape, but by God, I'm going to add some. <laughs> You know, Nicole, I, I, okay, actually, no, I'm going to point this towards John. John, I would love for you to come back because I've, I have a feeling you have a shit ton more to talk about. And I'm like, this is like one of the most fun podcasts that I've had in a long time. Not that they were bad in the past. Were, this is great. But wait, he's not done. I want to hear about Project Stargate. I know, but like it's getting, it's getting late. So I'm just, I'm just throwing the invitation out there just in case. I, I, thanks I, for the invite but it's like i'm being told it's like uh, okay dude you're the last one at the party the food's already put away get the fuck out <laughs> no no the food's still here I, i'm i'm i'll open up a fresh bottle of wine let's do this <laughs> i still have half a bottle left well a third <laughs> no but this is fascinating and i love talking about this stuff this is what i thought uh, not thought this is what i believe the show is best when it's like this so how about this? All the stuff I've told you, can I tell you what scares me? Oh, yes, please. So I was part of a group of paranormal investigators. We went into an insane asylum that started business in the 1880s and wrapped up business in 1970s. And there is some stuff there that has never been human. And it does not like us people at all. And I got punched. I got scratched. I got a fever. And one time when I got pissed and pushed them, they followed me out of the building into my car and down the street for almost six blocks before it finally pulled away. That was some scary ass shit. And that's why when I do ghost hunting now, I jump in as a energetic being and not as a meat suit. I'm much more vulnerable as a meat suit. So, are there, okay, this leads me to the next uh, question. Is, is there such evil energies out there? Like, like I was going to ask you if you believe in hell or, or demons, things like that. Yes. Yes to both. But ever, do I don't have, believe are, are I don't. In, like a degradation of an energy that we were and they just keep going down where we are trying to go up. So most people are familiar with a more spiritual positive paradigm. So I'll start there. So you've got people and there's good people. There's bad people and there's good people. And let's say these good people, when they die, 
they tend to hang around their families and they tend to be ancestral guides. And so they help you with your process and what you're doing, but they are still totally connected to the earthbound plane. But then those ancestors, they finally ascend, and they move on to the next level, and then they become more spiritual. And they're operating on a different kind of plane, so they kind of have a rough memory of what it means to be human, but they're still dialed in more to the spiritual plane. And then you go to another level. These are folks that may or may not have ever been human, but they totally appreciate the human experience and the sacrifices that we make and what we're struggling to do and the learning that we bring back when we come back. And although they don't reach down into the human existence, they can influence those who do. Then you can reach up any even higher, and then you get to those folks that are totally energetic, never been human. You may want to call them angels. And then you can reach up even higher. Then you get to the archangels and so on. That same type of hierarchy going up exists going down. And so, so you can go into places where, for example, one instance... I went into a place and there's this little girl and I'm projecting there spiritually. And there's this little girl. She's been there since the 1800s. She doesn't understand why her family has abandoned her and while she's in this home all alone. And she's so sad and she just wants something to play with. And, you know, if I come there tomorrow uh, with the rest of the group, can I bring a ball or a doll or something that she can have and play with? And I felt so sad for her that I kind of like opened myself up. And she was not a little girl. Oh, this just went into horror film mode. Oh, this is like horror film one-on-one. Throw a little girl out there, make sure she's like... I know. This is why I don't watch horror movies. This is why I watch horror movies. (laughs) She, She was a being that has been around for a millennia. And her MO was to find out what is the chink in your armor and project that so that she can get you. Oh, so what, did, what chink in your armor was she trying to find? Don't tell her. Don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> I've already told you. I've already told you in the description of the entity and how it presented itself. Yeah. Little girls always get to me too. <laughs> I'm a grown ass. I'm a grown ass man, and so if a little girl is hurt and crying and asking for help, what are you going to do? Okay, this this kind of creeps me out a little bit because Lisa, remember I told you about a dream I had where there was a girl, or maybe it was you who had the dream of a girl in the car. I, I might be mixing it up. Was it you who had the dream of a girl in a car or was it me? Because we are. I don't remember having. You have to give me more details. Okay, so I had a dream. I'm pretty sure it was me. Sometimes Lisa's and my stuff gets mixed up in my head. Um, And there was a girl, and this this dream, it's like it kept repeating itself with the same girl and then a new, like, event. And the girl, it was a little girl in my car, and she kept trying to reach out to me to help her it's like she was a cry for help and I was 
I was skeptical of who this girl was because I wasn't sure yet. Like I was, I don't know. There was something inside of me that was telling me, don't just give in to this, question it. And at some point there was like an evil spirit, dark entity that kind of flooded in after I kept kept asking questions that took over the girl's body and revealed its true nature to me. But I had to go through like three different question rounds and three different events with this girl in the car before it actually showed it. So I feel like this is something that they use often as children, especially if a young girl, because I mean, if we think about the damsel in distress, it's going to appeal to anyone who has a heart uh, any I mean if it's a young boy sure but a girl like that's the most vulnerable place I think that we can even go to who's crying out for help am I wrong am I just like making this up I don't know no no, no. like I mean I mean if you go down the scale like who you like let's go back to John's dream you're on the Titanic you gotta save somebody you pretty much started with a little girl and then working away like like the little girl is like the most vulnerable to John and Mai's eyes, I would imagine Nicole and Lisa, your eyes as well. But like, if you had to save out of four people, little girl, little boy, adult woman, adult man, you're saving the little girl. It's like, that is... It's programmed into us to do that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's why Walking Dead started off with a little girl zombie. (laughs) Just saying. See, that's why I don't watch that show. I can't. I just can't. (laughs) Love oh, it. wait! Wait till I tell you about that. That's a uh, that's actually a project that they've been working on uh, with uh, my labs. What? Okay, go into that right now. <laughs> wait, 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 Nicole. We're at the point where like maybe this should be a double partner. No, no, no. Wait. I, okay, no. Wait. Just please go. Run with this. I, I need to know. Okay, so you know, you know, the uh, the the body's engine is a cell, and the cell's engine is a mitochondria. Yes. And the mitochondria yeah. runs on an energy cycle that is the Krebs cycle, where you're basically taking ADP, converting energy to ATP. Yes. And so there's yes. this cycle back and forth. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What if I told you that we have created nanotechnology that creates that ADP, ATP energy release cycle? Well, I would believe it. Michael might not. I think Lisa might believe it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tell me more. Okay. In, in 1998, I was part of a clinical trial where we were taking intestinal cells, converting them to stem cells, and then whenever we injected those cells into a thing those cells basically looked at what was next to it and became that. So this one clinical trial, we put it into a horse's eye that had got a scratch. I mean, this was a very well-known racehorse. And this racehorse got its cornea scratched and couldn't race anymore. So in a desperate attempt to rescue this investment, the owner volunteered the horse for this clinical trial. And so we put this material in and on one side that faced the cornea, it became the cornea on the other side that faced the epithelial tissue of the inside of the eyelid. It became the inside of the eyelid. 
And so we had to actually surgically cut out that material to release it and then create a protein barrier so that we can then focus just on the cornea. And then we were able to repair the cornea. And so this tissue, this, the, these stem cells become whatever they're next to. So then that became, well, if we can make cells from this material, can we break it down even further? And how can we perpetuate cells? Because again, the thought process was, what if we could extend the human life to a couple hundred years? And we were looking at looking at the ends of the telomeres to see how we could extend them or propagate them so that you're, the aging process decreased. Okay, we've talked about telomeres on this episode, on this podcast back in February with Augie Nost and how they're responsible for our aging or non-aging process. Uh-huh. They're the hour clock of our life. Yeah. That's a great that's a great analogy, Michael. Well, it wasn't I didn't make it up. I I mean that's when I studied telomeres, that's the every analogy out there. It's like your telomeres will, can accurately tell you pretty much when you're going to kick the bucket. What if I told you that we have an artificial way to create them and inject them through an, a protein-based virus that we have pulled from your own stem cells? And so your body doesn't even recognize it as a virus, so we have no immune response. We deliver this virus to where we want, and we then inject your cells with this artificial telomere, which will never shrink. Oh my God, that just explains so much that will debunk Michael's chemtrail theory. <laughs> no. Oh, fuck you with the chemtrail stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, we really need to dedicate a freaking podcast to this bullshit that you keep spouting off and all your fanatic, creepy people that go off their goddamn rocker about oh, chemtrails. Oh, you're, not the, you're just programmed by your college. Fuck off. And I hate the fact that I have to use so many cuss words, but this really is like, ah. Don't worry, your dad's not listening, apparently. Uh, you probably will on this one, most likely. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> no, hey, I just, Michael. oh, the chemtrail thing just. It, hey, Michael. See, Nicole knows my triggers, John. I do. And it's Nicole like we're married. Michael, we're, we're, Michael, we should take this offline because I have a great uncle who belonged to Project Blue Book. And we talked four or five times, and before he kicked the bucket, he basically gave me a download. Chemtrails are for freaking real. John Mathis, you got a virus. <laughs> you downloaded a virus. I'm telling you that right now. But I'm also telling you, the chemtrails aren't exactly what you think they are. Well, uh, I... Okay, let's, that's a whole different podcast. Let's get back to the other topic. So when I had my time in the soccer pitch and was talking with George and then heard music, I actually followed the music. And I became surrounded by what looked like to me as ovals of pearlescent energy. And they were singing this beautiful, etheric, gorgeous music. And I've been singing since I was six years old, so it's almost like another language to me. 
And so I started singing along with it. And then there was this shift where I went from singing music to being music. And I totally was divorced from my human experience. And I sang with them and just did that weave and that sharing. And as soon as I was like, yeah, I want to do this forever. They're like, nah, no, you got to go back. And so they decelerated me and brought me back into my imaginary meat suit, brought me back to George. And I looked at George and he's like, yeah, you got to go back. But then I turned around and an angel was there. And this angel had escorted me back from being music back into a decelerated state. And so I was able to look down and I was back into what looked like my body. But this angel put a hand on each side of my shoulder, looked me in the eye and said, you belong to us now. And I don't know exactly what that meant, but when I came back into my corporeal body, that's when the poetry and the writing and the skin cream and the talks and the podcast and the radio, that's when it all started going. So anything you want to provide as far as a conduit for information, I am so willing to share and disclose because this is the wild, wild west. And there are people whose sole intention is to wake up. I'm sorry, you had me at skin cream. (laughs) (laughs) It rubs a lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. (laughs) I knew Michael would say that. So now we've gone back to skin cream, which then I'm now I'm going to take it to porn. <laughs> yes, full circle on Michael's porn stash of himself in his closet. Let's not talk about circles and porn. <laughs> so Michael, uh, so I don't know if you've seen any of the porn movies I've been in, but I'm only, sh- I'm, only sh- I'm only shot from the waist down, so you really can't tell it's me. Right? Okay. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Oh my my Catholic school upbringing prevents me from watching <laughs> Also does the fact that his parents listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason. <laughs> I don't think they I don't think they do because I'm not sure if they're really interested in this anti everything thing well, that you got. Apparently you got your dad went from loving me to thinking I'm Yeah, a well that's because your social media commercials are so uh penetrative. <laughs> <laughs> Good word. Did I use that purposely? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I'm I'm hearing a bass riff in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, Nicole. We need to have John back on. This is great. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we clearly just left the chemtrail thing and the blue project thing. And we're going to leave all our listeners hanging on that, apparently. So uh, we're going to have you back on, John, uh, so that you can touch on that again, as well as we'll bring you on for all of the bullying um, stuff. 
and because I think that actually is a great topic and I think it's something that really needs to be addressed in our society. I think that, you know, it's being addressed at a very surface level, but not really being and, I, and excuse me for using this word after the recent conversation, but penetrated to a level that is actually going to um, resurrect change in a positive way so that we don't have these um these morbid experiences where you know you have school shootings and things like that so uh john where can people find more out about you right now uh so if you go into a post office you'll probably see a picture of me with numbers (laughs) under my chin Uh, you can find me in a bunch of places. Uh, I, I think probably the best place to start is uh, johnmathis.me. As egotistical as that sound, it was actually the cheapest uh, uh, URL I could find. Uh, but it is a place where I have connections to the skin cream that I make, which is a combination of organic materials and being infused with Reiki. Uh, you can find a connection to my book, uh, Guitar, Cigars, and Tiki Bars, to my previous book, uh, The Alchemist Error, uh, and a blog that I occasionally throw something onto. Um, and if you want to go ahead and post to this eventually, if you want to throw on the email address I send you, uh, one of the things I do kind of as a side gig is so I have gone through about 300 interviews with people who have had near-death experiences. Half the people that come back are hitting the ground running. The other half that come back are lost souls. Oh, and I was, this is, oh, this is, you're like opening up Pandora box after Pandora box, John. Because I was one of those lost souls, and it took me seven years to reintegrate. And so now I have been trained by the American Society for Spiritually Transformative Events and my nursing background, and I help people reassemble. So you can connect with me if you're on that on that on that trajectory. If you're dabbling in any of the stuff, that if you go on to the johnmathis.me website, I've got a list of all the stuff that I'm up to. And if you need help with that, I'm like uh, I'm like air traffic control. If I if I can't give you an answer, I will definitely direct you to where you can find one. Whether that suits you or not, that's your business. But I'm not going to leave you hanging. So I think that you um, you definitely touched on something to Michael in the sense that, you know, he started to really open up to things spiritually, uh, started to experience some of the experiences that Lisa and I have experienced. And yeah, then and then he down. shut down and then he completely shut down uh, and went into uh, I don't want to believe any of this stuff right now. For whatever reason, I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong because I, I want to make that very clear. It's it's and it's actually something that happens very frequently on the spiritual journey, 
is that people have these awakenings and these openings and these experiences and then they just shut down and then close everything off. And I think you just kind of touched on that, John. I, I totally get that. Yeah. God. Yeah. So much, so much I want to say, but I know we're wrapping it up, so I'll keep it for the next one. So thank you to everyone who have joined us. Please check out um, John if you haven't already. We're going to leave all of the information that you gave us in our show notes. And um, John, you are going to have to come back very, 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 very soon so that we can continue this conversation and finish what we were talking about on um, Project Blue Book and Project Stargate and all that other stuff that we just didn't really get into because Michael doesn't believe in chemtrails, but that's okay. So we're going to get into all of that later on. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. We're doing this because, you know, some of us have these crazy experiences and we want to share them with you so that you don't feel alone and you don't feel like you're crazy as you're as we all feel like we're crazy. And if you do feel crazy, you can come here and find out that you're in good company and sometimes be made fun of by Michael and Brian. And you're we so all crazy. You're so crazy. Yeah, but we're entertaining as fuck. And that's what that's matters. <laughs> So thanks everyone for joining us. If you need to, please email us at info at enlightenup.us. If you need any more information, please go to our website, enlightenup.us. And don't forget to follow us on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We are so happy to be here and share our experiences with you all. And John, thank you very much for being here with us today. It was very fun and informative and quite a journey to say the least. Thank you very much. You. You You guys are more fun than a puppy with two beaters. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, have a great night, everyone. <laughs>